Hello, and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 671. We'll be talking about the San Marino GP. I'm your host, Jim McDowell, and with me from the UK tonight is Rich Jowitt. Rich, what's going on in the UK? Uh, it's all good here. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, enjoyed a good weekend of racing again. It's getting a little bit chilly here now. So, uh, yeah, the autumn is well and truly uh, hitting us. So, got a few BSB races to see the end of the year out. But again, because of the way the calendars work this year, it's going to be some cold, wet races, I think. So, we'll have to try and just have a quick dip in to BSB as the season rounds out because we're into the showdown now, the popular showdown. So, it's all to play for. So, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that on a perhaps on a later episode. Oh, that sounds good. Something to look forward to. I mean, here it's yeah. kind of bleak and rainy. It's still in the 70s, which is probably, what, uh, 20, 30 Celsius is like almost high, 80s, almost 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So that must make it like 20, maybe 21 Celsius here. Kind of rainy and cold, but that's enough about us being weather people. There was enough problems with the weather this weekend in the, in San Marino. So, But before we get to the show, hey... We want to thank all the donors that have been donating, um, especially everybody on Patreon. We appreciate you guys. Keeps this show ad-free, keeps it rolling, and makes it greater for everybody else. If you like the show, guys, please go to iTunes, give us a review. That way, it's higher rating. The algorithm puts us higher up so more people can listen to the show and become fans of the show. So that would be greatly appreciated. And if you have any spare pocket change, hey, can you throw a little in the hat? Every little bit helps. You can go to our website, www.motopodcast.com. You can put in as little as $2 US, and you can subscribe that way. And it, again, helps us out, keeps the servers running, and keeps us ad-free. With all of that out of the way, let's just get to some news, Rich. You know, So, silly season is kind of winding down here. I think we pretty much have figured out where everybody's going to be on what bike. But there's a couple of little things that have happened that we can talk about here. First bit is Alcoba is going to Moto2, and he's going to ride alongside Marcel Schroeder in the Liquid Molly team. So, but I think it's good for Alcoba. I mean, he hasn't really showed us too much this year in Moto3, but the boy is a he's a big lad. And I think being on the bigger bike is probably going to help him a little bit. Yeah, he kind of had a, a bit of a purple patch in the middle of the season. You may recall he also got himself into a little bit of uh, controversy back in Barcelona with some of the last lap or last few lap antics that he was playing about. But he is clearly kind of one of the bigger riders. And it was, again, over the last two race weekends with that long back straight at Aragon and then the you know fairly long straight at uh, Misano, it was quite clear that the bigger riders were were suffering and he was picked out by name several times over the weekend as one of the guys that was really struggling and he was pretty much anonymous so i think a moto 2 move is uh yeah a bit of a lifeline for him agreed so um let's just stay with moto 2 here real quick and then we'll get to the last bit of moto two, moto uh some other news but a uh, slatch is going to grassini in moto 2 so he's going up a class from where he is so that's good for him again you know slatch is another one of those bigger kids so to speak so bigger bike should probably help him do well but there is some exciting news for British Moto3 fans. Indeed, yeah, we're absolutely delighted to have learned that, um, I, I, as I understand it, Jim, this is coming from the, let's call it what will be the remnants of the Patronus uh, Moto3 team okay. in terms of um, uh, equipment and some of the staff as well. So that that's has good. been... I'm glad to see that those guys got keep the yes. job, right? You know, so yeah. that's, that's, that's yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, d- definitely a, a major lifeline for those guys um, and, and use of all of that equipment and, and, and infrastructure, which will, is good. But yeah, this has been picked up by Michael Laverty, who some people will remember 
did ride in MotoGP for a couple of seasons, very much associated with BSB again. And probably people won't necessarily be so aware of this, but he's one of the lead commentators on the BT Sport coverage that we have here in the UK for those of us that don't, uh, or for those people that don't have the Dorna feed. So he's a massively knowledgeable guy. His technical uh, capability is, is self-evident in everything that he says. And he's had a very successful riding career, probably the most successful of the Laverty brothers, and has gone into team management, rider management, is mentoring quite a lot of young kids um and that's something i want to come back to again on a on a future episode perhaps once the the main seasons are over in terms of some of the things he's doing with the the real youngsters in the uk but anyway he has what will be uh effectively the i suppose you might call it the what used to be called racing steps we had a team uh which was where john mcphee first appeared from uh, in Moto3. But that kind of died away a few years ago. So this is the first time we've had a, a dedicated British funded team with British management. And in this case, it will be British riders as well, very much as a feeder to try and get these guys noticed and then up onto the, the two upper classes uh, once once Moto3 is done. So we've got Scott Ogden uh, and Josh Watley coming into that team for next year. And as a British fan, being somewhat partisan about it, for which I make no huge apologies. It's great to great to see that we've at long last got uh, some talent feeding through because, you know, Cal Crutchlow is retired. I know he's had a couple of wild cards, but, you know, that's really going to be a very occasional thing from him. Uh, Scott Redding departed. I don't really see Sam Lowe's seriously making it back into MotoGP. And Jake Dixon, jury's out, I suppose. He's going to struggle to find a seat, at least certainly not next season. So we do need, as indeed do certain other nations, which we'll come to, these opportunities for the youngsters to come through. So it's it's great news. Yep, that is fantastic. So with Moto3, little Moto3 news here, Fagia is going to stay at Leopard for another year, joining Suzuki in the team. Where does Artigas go? That's the question, because apparently he's the odd man out. Yeah, the music's kind of stopped and he hasn't got a chair <laughs> to sit down on. Uh, it's, it's I agree. Pretty, pretty tough uh, yeah. on him. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but th- this question I've got to ask. Would you rather have Artigas or would you rather have Suzuki in the team? I'm surprised they've gone for Suzuki, if that's not a slightly dodging the answer. Uh, no, I'm shocked by it too, because answer. I think I would take Artigas. I yes. think he's shown, especially, you're only as good as your last race in these last couple of races. Artigas has been pretty well, but he was, yeah, I mean, we know where Suzuki is, but maybe he goes better if he's on a better bike, which we agree Leopard's a better team than the 658 Squadron team. But I'm just thinking Artigas sort of, I feel like Artigas has a raw deal on this. That, uh, but Yeah, I agree. I, so, um, anyway, <laughs> that's that part. Artigas had a, had a bright start to the season, didn't he? And then he, he went kind of a little bit AWOL through the middle part of the season. Then he had the COVID, which cost him two rounds. So he's been a bit invisible. So I suppose a lot of these deals probably were done in that period. But in the last two to three races, or certainly the last two races, he's suddenly showed form again. So yeah. to replace him with Suzuki, who seems to jump off it, you know, with alarm in regularity, does seem slightly odd to me but you know maybe that was a deal that was done some time ago and you know yeah. it's just too late for Artigas but he doesn't appear to have anywhere to go yeah that's so the thing is like I don't think do? there's a seat anywhere that no. is there so I don't know I mean I, I don't I want to say 17 um, just turned 18 I think so he's got some time 
I mean, he'd go do another season in CEV, something like that. But, uh, oh, so let's go on in the news. Sasaki is going to go race for Max Biaggi next year, Moto3. So that must mean Adrian Fernandez is gone somewhere, or Fanati's going somewhere. Last I heard, they weren't going anywhere that I know of. And I don't think Max is going to have three bikes. So that's another one of those who's missing where. <laughs> wait wait and thing. see job. Yeah. Wait and see job. Yep. Um, let's see. Michelin has extended its tire deal to be the sole supplier until 2026. How do you feel about that one? That um, don't really have such a, an opinion. I mean, I'm not a yeah. big fan of the, the, the sole supply kind of formula that we have in just about every major form of motor racing for all two yeah. for that matter I'm, I'm not a fan of but i understand it from the point of view of controlling costs and controlling speed yeah that's definitely uh, the deal i just wish i guess i don't know i have nothing against michelin I, I have absolutely zero against them i just wish that they had a better front it just seems like they can't make a front tire where bridgestone could make a tire that was almost uncrashable i'm like can we get to a middle point where yeah. there's a good tire but not a great tire I get it that you want to decrease corner speeds so that obviously your straightaway speed is not going to be as great. So the easiest way to do this is with the black thing on the bike, which is the tire. So I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand that it's very hard to have two companies competing at that level without spending millions of pounds, dollars, euros, take your pick. And there's not a lot of that to go around. And what are they really getting going to get from it? Probably not that much. So, and you know, Pirelli's heavily committed in other series, and Bridgestone kind of exited stage left a few years ago and haven't really shown any signs of wanting to come back. So, I no. mean, you need a partner that's, you know, or a, or a, or a competitor rather that's that's willing to come in and flash the cash to, you know, win the tender. So, and I guess there's also an argument to say that certainly in terms of MotoGP. You know the the competitive order is so close now that bringing in an you know another tire supplier now would would shake up that competitive order significantly and it would probably draw out the racing as well. So perhaps it's a good thing that Michelin are staying put, um, so that we don't have that kind of curveball that comes in and, and shakes yeah. things up in a, in an unwanted way perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had there that like ending when the tire war was ending between Michelin and Bridgestone. What well, wasn't basically everybody wanted to be on a on a Bridgestone. Rossi wanted to be on a Bridgestone, so everybody was going to migrate there anyway. So then they just sort of became the sole supplier of the deal as Michelin walked away because they had no teams left. And I don't think we want to get back to that situation again. I think that's harmful to the sport when people are talking about the tires and not talking about the racing. So, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, like I said, I just wish they could come up with a slightly better front for everybody. But exciting news for American fans of world motorsport. The American racing team in Moto2 will have two Americans on the team next year as Sean Dillon Kelly is going to join Cam Bobier and it's going to be an all-American team. I am not, I'm going to be unapologetic about the fact that I'm excited for two Americans on the grid for that one. A little background on Sean. He is the newly crowned Moto America Supersport champion, and he actually has raced in Moto2 before. He raced in a replacement role for Lekawana in 2019 when Lekawana was called up to ride on the MotoGP bike in Valencia, I believe it was. So that's going to be exciting for us. He's also learned that he is one of the first graduates of an American VR46 style academy that John Hopkins is actually running and is taking care of. And what we, and he's hopeful that 
he can get Aprilia to build a affordable spec, call it like a Moto2 bike that we can have for our American classes here with that extremely stiff chassis like all prototype machines are and is not the they're not gooey by any stretch of the imagination, but they are more flexible street bike chassis that are raced in World Superbike and whatnot. So it looks like everyone's trying to create a VR46 Academy kind of a ranch thing. The Spanish sort of have their CEV program to bring everybody up. Their Italians have Rossi and his ranch to bring talent through and bring them up, and they have a place to put them in there. So it's good to see that we're trying to have an American racing team that is going to do the same thing and find American talent, kind of groom them and bring them back onto the world stage because it's been since 2006 when Nikki was world champion that we've had an American in there uh, at the top of the game. And I want to see one more American world champion before I go. So <laughs> I better to do it now than anything else. So as much as we love all the Italians and all the Spanish, yeah. you know, they're great. It's but, you, fun you know. to have someone to root for. You need a few other nationalities in there, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I'd say the same thing about Australia, really, really. I mean, look where they used to be and where they are now. So it's, where's that talent coming from? Mm -hmm. So it's good to see at least, you know, with Michael Laverty and then with with Hopper, you know, what's going on in Moto America, at least there's a, a concerted effort going on now to try and, you know, bring some talent through. I know money will always be an issue in terms of sponsorship once you get to those, you know, those bigger teams because um, I'm, I'm sure some of these riders are still having to bring quite a lot of sponsorship and that's probably a, a situation that might worsen over the next few seasons with the way things are at the moment but uh, nevertheless I mean talent the cream always rises to the top so hopefully there's a chance for some of these other guys to to, to get in there yep uh two more things quickly Fernand Raul Fernandez and Gardner are going to test the Tech 3 MotoGP bikes at Mazzano where they're allowing I believe they did because today was a very nice day there I think uh, from what I saw quickly in the testing, I don't know anything more. I just caught a blurb on the website. Haven't read all the details yet. But uh, that's going to be good for them to get at least a taste of it. I really want to look and see what Gardner did on it because I think Remy will go pretty fast on the big bike. And lastly, Brottle has been confirmed as the test rider test rider and a wildcard rider again for Honda. They apparently, at least Mark Marquez, is enamored with what Brottle's doing for the 22 bike and the other things that Brottle has been doing, like, Towing Marquez around to get a time in Mazzano. Oh, wait a minute. We're not there yet. (laughs) Oops. Sorry. But, you know, that too. So that's all the news. Is there anything else, Rich? Did we miss anything? I think we pretty much covered everything. I think we we caught it this week. Yeah. So let's get back to the racing, Rich. Let's get on to our Moto3 qualifying sessions that we had on the day. So uh, basically that first session that we had, we had McPhee in that session we had Salach, Suzuki, Rodrigo, Anchu, um, Tatai, and Alcoba. Now, Anchu would not ride in the Moto3 qualifying sessions because he had an absolutely wicked high side that knocked him cold in practice that morning. If you saw it, I did. I cringed because he just went cold and his arm flopped over and when you know they didn't have anything else but then the sheets came out which really scared me uh, Mm. to no end that was definitely not cool but when they showed the second replay he just smacked the back of his head viciously hard on the pavement it was scary because that's like you could easily 
you know, snap a neck there or something like that. It was very scary. Luckily, Anshu was would go on to be okay. He knows, remembers nothing of the crash, which I think is how we protect ourselves as human beings from those kinds of uh, massive uh, hits that we have. And he would race on Sunday. So that was the first part of qualifying. Rodriguez would also not qualify, would not try to qualify as he has cracked his left humerus. So he's done the Mark Marquez and broken a humerus bone. I doubt seriously that it's broken into multiple pieces like Marquez's. I think he just cracked it. So I think he'll be fine again. I uh, won't be requiring all of that. So in, in that qualifying session, we had uh, McPhee going down at turn nine. He picked his bike up, tossed all the gravel out of it, and tried to get back in. And Suzuki was also then down at turn 13, and that caused a little bit of a trouble. But to tie Bertatelli, who was the Italian wild card, went through Rossi Yakanama. They all got on to the Q2 session. The Q2 session, there really isn't too much going on in this one. The people that the we thought, I thought that it was it was like a Fagia Antonelli kind of thing that was going to happen because they were out front the whole time. And then literally from nowhere came Fanate, who threw down an absolutely amazing lap to be two and a half tenths faster than anybody else, which I thought was amazing. But he uh, took the pole position. Fagia would be second, then Antonelli, Minio Masia Artigas. Then Rossi, Bertolini, and Acosta. Acosta not having the best time with that bike. Uh, something going on there. Not sure what. Then Tatai, Nepa, Garcia, Sasaki. Darren Bender qualifying down at 14th. Then the wild card, Bertelli, Yakanama, Guevara, and then Toba rounding out the 18 people in that qualifying session. And Rich, why don't you tell us what went on in the race? I just wanted to, to just backtrack onto qualifying very briefly sure. and say that one the, the one thing that was a little bit noticeable at the end of Q2 was that the wildcard rider you just mentioned, Batelli, I think, uh, he went down and created a yellow flag that actually meant that he got through. That's right, yeah. That's right, On their last laps kind of had to bail or got them cancelled. And it is one of the weaknesses of that rule that, and and obviously he cried, I'm not suggesting he, he did that on purpose and I'm not suggesting anybody necessarily would, but it does open the door for some shenanigans, you know, for somebody to create a yellow flag in a situation mm-hmm. we, we all remember probably without fondness michael schumacher parking it i knew you corner. i knew you were gonna go to there yeah i, and I know we shouldn't would. talk about we shouldn't talk about formula one it's, no, it's, it's fine it's <laughs> but, probably uh, the most blatant example of somebody doing something to preserve a lap exactly that this exists because because when you said that that is the first thing that popped in my mind yeah so it's, so it's not without precedent and this this rule Correct. does open up uh, a potential loophole which could be exploited you know for nefarious uh, means which is something that we don't really want to see and, and in this particular case quite innocently without a shadow of a doubt you know Patelli did get through when probably he wouldn't have done had that yellow flag not come out as a result right, of his but, crash so I just wanted to yes. pick that out because it, well, it is a potential problem yeah the the obviously the, the sport is not the same as Formula One it's a whole lot different to nudge a car against a guardrail uh, especially yes. when you have a team that has $400 million budget. I think it's another thing entirely to fall off of a motorcycle to cause a yellow and, you know, do 3,000 pounds worth of damage, maybe. You know, I'm thinking the bodywork and, and whatnot, or potentially maybe more bend some forks or something like that. 
is it flips to the gravel trap. But you're all right, Rich. There is that little pitfall that, you know, hey, for some reason, if I could create a yellow flag, I will go through. But I think the, I think the more likely scenario is that is this question about that we're so obsessed with dishing out penalties for mistakes that in yeah. this particular instance with that rule, you make a mistake and you can benefit from it. Yeah, that is true. To be, there doesn't appear to be any recourse for that. So I, I just think it's something that needs to be probably needs to be looked at because most mm. of the riders are not particularly in favor of this yellow flag rule i don't think as well in terms of canceling laps if you no. go through that sector it does seem no. very harsh but anyway i mean that's the way yeah. it is but uh, he did uh, did benefit from that uh, mm. so the moto 3 race itself uh, started under slightly worryingly gloomy skies having been a, a bright blue sky warm-up session but anyway it was a it was a nice clean start the standout i think in the early laps was was darren binder who as you said jim qualified 14th and was up to eighth within a few laps. So he was going really, really strong. But up front, really, it was it was the Italy show, really, with the, the main title chasers, with Garcia in there as well in the lead group. Foggia, I have to say, looking the much more assured uh, of, of the title protagonists. Uh, Garcia all weekend, and again, noticeably in qualifying, was looking pretty ragged. Whether he's riding a bit tight or the nerves are getting to him or he just was chasing setup or whatever, but he couldn't really hold consistent form throughout much of the race, really. Whereas Foggia, in particular, was just looking rock solid again after a very strong weekend in, in Aragon. So, was I agree with the man. There's, you know, I don't know what's up with Garcia. Part of me thinks that maybe he had a bit of a talking to after Aragon that, hey, look, you, you need to stay on the bike. You, you, you left points on the table that you could have taken easily. This gap could be a lot less. And it appears as though Acosta is kind of struggling a little bit. I mean, we'll come on to some of that later. Mm. But you need to collect as many points as you can. And being told that. Maybe he was riding a little cautiously in the first part of the race because I thought his second part of the race, like you know, the later half of it, I thought Garcia was actually riding pretty decent. Yeah, and you you kind of mentioned one of the strange things that happened in this race was that pretty quickly we ended up with two main groups, six people at the front. I think it was about six people, and then a second group which had Acosta in it, as you said, and he was again looking somewhat off form really and sort of stuck in that group which dropped back remarkably quickly. I guess they were carving each other up a fair amount, which would have would have slowed them down. But I suppose the question really with Acosta is why, or are we just being a bit too harsh on a kid who's a rookie and is in a very, very high-pressure situation? There's a lot of things here. Um, they said during the race that Io even admits that the kid's struggling. I think we're going to a lot of tracks that he's never seen. So for him to chase setup is definitely difficult to do. But still, he was. we were back in Spain at Aragon, and I thought he would have done a lot better there. It is a high-pressure cooker situation that he's in. You are a rookie. You are a phenom. You, you had everybody knocking on your door for a 2023 MotoGP ride. That's a lot for a 17-year-old to take in. Like, I, I, I couldn't have manage that if i'm racing a bike traveling the world going places i'd never been before obviously there's it's still summer but i mean we're getting to where school will be back in session i'm i'm assuming that he's has a tutor that goes with them and he's sort of what we call homeschooled here in the u.s Good so point. you there's got to be there's got to be schooling that's got to be going on involved in all of that you put all that together <laughs> the kid's probably going to ride tight there's no way around that. 
Oh, are we being hard on him? Maybe. I, I think we're only hard on him because of what he showed us in the beginning of the year. Yeah. He showed us something that we hadn't seen since Marquez kind of was in that class. And it was just amazing what he did. Uh, and I think we judge him by that. And maybe that's a bit harsh. So, yeah, he's struggling. Um, he's riding tight. I, I think there's also the thing. And here's the big question I have. Would it be different if Acosta was only three or five points ahead of Garcia? Would he be riding differently? Because I think sometimes you think about that points championship. He's 40-some points ahead. I will find that out here later. But if you're that far ahead, you tend to want to try to ride comfortably to not fall off to be sure that you take points and that takes you out of a rhythm that you're used to riding in it's much harder to ride nine tenths than it is to ride ten tenths and maybe yeah. that's just where we are and perhaps I, it's just a combination of all of these things you it know, could just be slowing him down but it was kind of strange to see him battling with Nepper and and rossi and tata i think was back in that group and i think sasaki was in there as well just not really where we've been used to seeing him but uh, yeah I, I guess we're just being pretty harsh on a guy as you said who was just outstanding at the beginning of the season well and one more thing you said it earlier cream rises to the top if you look at who's in the front now it's all the guys who have been there for a couple of years and you know there's experience there that Acosta does not have as far as championships, as far as riding. I think these guys all sort of let everything kind of want to let everything sort of shake out and figure out where everybody was because nobody knows in Moto3 who the main competitor is going to be that you're going to fight for the title at the beginning of the year because there's an influx of rookies and kids. And guess what? This rookie came out of the blocks and just knocked everybody's socks off and everybody stepped back for a second and went, okay, wait a minute. It, we need to get serious. And it took a while for Foggia to catch fire. And maybe, I think maybe that's bit, part of it too. People know? were kind of almost a bit punch drunk, I think, at the beginning of the season. Yeah. It's like, what the hell is this? You I know. completely agree with you on that Yeah. One. Uh, what will be interesting to see with Acosta, we'll get back to the race in a minute, but <laughs> is if he can seal the championship, say, with one or two rounds to go, let's say he ends up, at, I think the final round is, is going to be Valencia again. Yes, it is, yeah. You so know, if it's he, Coda, Coda, San Marino, Portomayo, Valencia, I believe, okay. to finish yes, off. That sounds about right. So if he arrives at Valencia, which is obviously going to be a track that he knows very, very well, with the championship and his last Moto3 race before going up, will we see the Pedro Acosta of... Uh, Qatar. Yeah, that's that. That's yeah. I don't know. Riding free. If he can ride free, you don't know what you're going to see. What, what, you know, it's getting close. I mean, he's definitely got a hand on a trophy. So he would go to, go on to redeem himself uh, towards the end of the race, which we'll yes, come to. But talking about you know experience counting out front at this point, we had Romano Fanati looking very ominous with his kind of Silverstone hat on again, untouchable out, out, out front. And at this point, it really looked like the main interest in the race was going to be who was second and third. Yeah, the only person who could beat Fanati was going to be Fanati. Yep. And I'm just going to have, I, I did have a, a short rant about this uh, uh, an episode or two ago, and yeah. I'm just going to do it. Just Go going to do it. it again because, okay, it wasn't necessarily the most exciting of races and, and in this early-ish, say about a third of the way through the race, it, you know, perhaps it wasn't the most captivating of races to watch. But we got back into the old Dorna director treating us to minutes worth of super slow-mos, navel-gazing at people in the pits. Uh, we were we were watching for about 30 seconds, I think it was, Max Biaggi and Jorge Lorenzo in the sterile Garda pit. 
which was kind of ironic because cut to live action again and Fanati's going arse over tit through the gravel. I think, why do they do this? Why do they have these long, long interludes where we're not watching the race, which is what we're really interested in seeing, you know, admiring Max Biaggi's beautiful brown eyes, you know, in the pits. I'm just thinking, crying out loud, you're going to miss something. Please, let's watch the race. And sure enough, Max's rider is uh, barrel rolling through the gravel <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, Romano Fanati robbed the race from himself. Yes, he did. That was that was vicious because the, the front went, he caught it, and then the back broke loose and hopped off the ground. And then when it came back, it was over at that point and off yeah. it went. And, uh, you know, obviously, Fanati was okay in this because it was, it was more of a low side than a high side kind of a thing. But, yeah, that was just – you feel for him. You yeah. had it. No yeah. one was going to touch you on this day. And yet you – to finish first, first you much finish and you – decided not to do that and you know there's has it there's been a long time since somebody has has dominated like Fanati did at silverstone and then again here his domination was pretty much complete again there's nobody going to touch him there was a vicious front end moment as you say and just not savable but i've got a lot of respect for Fanati because obviously he was the bad boy you know having had the punch up in the vr46 pit and then for which he got sacked as i recall and then eventually made it up to moto 2 and then had that outrageous incident with manzi i think it was yes it was manzi in in mazano uh places again came came back this kind of reform character and he's, he's kept his nose pretty clean ever since and, and has been devastating at certain race weekends uh, ever since he came back into moto three and i couldn't help noticing that when he was in the pits sort of head in hands that guy looks like a middleweight boxer how he manages to be so fast on a moto three bike i know he's short so i suppose that's in his favor but he's a really stocky powerful looking kid isn't he yeah yeah you th- you'd think he would struggle a bit more but anyway yeah. just an, just yeah. an observation yeah I anyway i think too you gotta say game over I think for Fanati. Yeah, 20. that's done. Yeah, there, I don't think there's any way Fanati can actually get to the championship now, given the number of points he's. No, yeah, he he would. It's pretty much impossible because he is like 76 points behind with four races. So yeah, 25 points apiece. That's pretty much impossible. You're into miracle territory, yeah. Yeah, so, you're miracle territory. That's true. Uh, heading into the the last part of the race, we, we we still have the two main groups out front. You had mostly the Italians still uh, with Garcia and Massia in there, who I suppose we should just make a, a mention to uh, for having a better weekend after. A yeah, Massia, Massia actually looked much better. Yeah, he definitely was taking the shine off of Acosta. That's for sure. You got to be better than your teammate because he's the only other guy that is on the same equipment that you have. Yeah, I think uh, Masia might have been a little punch drunk by what the kid did in the beginning of the season, and he now kind of got himself grouped himself back together again. Because I think Masia's only maybe 19, I think. So yeah, people are probably would probably get to the point of writing him off, you know, at 19. With with Acosta, as you say, Jim showing him up in the way that he has done. But Binder had been in that group, but was was dropping back, and I think probably just struggling in terms of tire life and his general weight and size. So I think you know he has to move up. Um, yeah. I think we're still waiting to hear officially what's going to happen to Darren Binder. Are we? I don't. Yeah, there's nothing that's been there's announced no news yet. for it. So no news. I mean, I guess there's a slim hope that he would be along that he could be alongside um, Divisioso. Yes. that one but i don't see it happening and i don't think anybody's gonna put him on a moto three bike again 
I think he's kind of had his chance. Yeah. Uh, that's cruel, but that's how I see it. So I'm wondering if Superbikes isn't in his future. Maybe be a little easier to find a ride there, perhaps. Maybe I'm mm. not sure. Yeah, don't I don't know. I suppose we'll find out in, in the next couple out. of weekends. So anyway, last lap time, um, it was really going to be a, a fight out between Foggia, Antonelli and Migno, who had been pretty much running at, in the top three places all, all through the race. As it turned out, Foggia just absolutely aced the last lap. And you wouldn't say he had a comfortable win, but it wasn't a super, super close win. The, the main interest really was back in the second group where you had Acosta and we were all thinking, how many points is he going to lose to Foggia, who really is looking like the main title protagonist now. But in the end, I mean, fair play to Acosta. He pulled it out and did some overtakes. It was a kind of champion's recovery in a way. And I think he came in, well, I don't think I know, he came in seventh in the end. So it was a, a pretty, you know, r- reasonable damage limitation uh, kind of deal for Acosta. And with Garcia in fourth, he couldn't really capitalise. So the major winner really in all of this was was Foggia, who is edging closer and closer. I mean, it's still 42 points, the gap, which is yeah, still comfortable-ish. But with Acosta off form and Foggia very much on form, it's, it feels like it's still all to play for. So yeah, we had an Italian one-two-three, which in Mizano kept the kept the fans pretty happy. So that was the that was the Moto Three race. Yeah, the, the that's the thing that's very puzzling to me about Acosta is at the end he pulls it together to get to seventh, and it's like so somewhere in there there's an immense amount of talent. We're saying at the beginning of the season that he is very good. At reading a race and his racecraft mm-hmm. was very good he so was. having having become detached as as happened in silverstone okay he crashed in in aragon very much detached in this race it's almost as if he he settles with the fact that he's in a group and he's going to score a lower position but he just saves it and sends it on the last lap uh, to, yeah. to recover as much as he can and if that and that is what he's done on those two occasions so so the the one blot on his copy book is obviously Aragon, but one crash all season long is is hardly yeah. in a race is is hardly a you know a, a poor record. Let's be honest. Right, especially given the way that he rides, very much very 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 heavy on the front end. We would have expected him to have done that kind of move in Aragon and fallen off two or three times already this year. Yeah, he didn't. Again, the kid is immensely talented, and we are cutting up a poor seventeen-year-old who's leading a world championship, and we are armchair quarterbacking this. It's really yep. easy to sit here and say, Very easy. <laughs> "Why are you doing this?" It's another thing to to be him and to have to do all of this. And this time around, Accio was right there, talking to him, listening to him as they went through the debrief. He's obviously there to try to give the kid some help to try to understand what it is he's going through, to try to understand what is not right with the bike and what what we need to do to, to get him something better. I don't think he's going to lose this world title. I just don't think it's, I just don't, don't see it happening. Again, you said it earlier, what happens when he wins the title and there's a race left to go? Does he look fantastic? Probably a part of this is pressure, part of it's riding tight. And again, we really need to stop picking on the poor kid. Um, I was impressed with Fagia. Fagia went through, did it. One, uh, granted, he was handed this win because he, he was not going to touch Fanati, but True. he has done what he's had to do. He's been on a roll. He's winning races. Definitely a uh, way to go there. Garcia, I thought, at least used his head because they did. he did have that big moment where him and Masia touched, and that was a lot of there was a lot of contact in that. That could have easily been him on the ground. He didn't. He kind of 
brought it back together again, kind of cooled off a little bit, took a took a second, analyzed the situation, and said, Acosta's somewhere behind me. I'm going to take the points that I need to be. So good on for him. Uh, and then, of course, Acosta somehow just magically can make things happen on the last lap. Let's look at the championship standings real quick uh, for this. Acosta leads on 210 points. He's still 42 points ahead of Fazia. But Garcia is now tied with Fazia. They're level on 168 points apiece. But Fazia seems to have the momentum going into these final races. And Fazia won at Puerto Mayo, didn't he? I ooh, last year, I, earlier this year he won. He won I think so. That yeah, was his I first mean, win, and then he fell off, or didn't fall off, but he didn't have any form. He wasn't on the podium after that, or something. Mm. So that was part of it. Um, you know, obviously Garcia and Acosta have never been to Coda. It's a bumpy, nasty, gnarly little track, bumpy like San Marino is. So Fazia may play into that. The Honda is going to be fast on that long straightaway. So we'll see what happens. Then Finati, having not scored any points, is fourth. Masi is fifth. Uh, Antonelli sixth, Bender is seventh, Sasaki eighth, and then it's a tie between Mino and Guevara for the ninth place in that championship. So that's Moto three. Uh, ready for Moto two, Rich? Yep. All right, let's do Moto two qualifying. So Moto two qualifying in the we oh that's a thing that we forgot to got to say and and there is that we know that Ramirez is going to go to MV Augusta. So Ramirez, who was the out man at American Racing, is going to MV Augusta. So that answers that question. I think we brought that up, so or maybe we didn't say that. But anyway, in that first qualifying session, it was Dixon, Arbolino, Gartho, Vietti, Cambobia, and Reynas were all there. Rain had started to spit down, and basically it came to who was going to time it right because the rain, everybody came out to get a banker lap. It rained, and it rained uh, not enough to get onto slicks, or to get off of slicks, sorry, but it rained enough to make everyone be cautious and then it stopped and then these guys who were out um and took advantage of that was vietti della porta uh, roberts and luthi they timed it all perfectly to get the fastest lap in between the drops of of rain or liquid sunshine however you want to look at it so they were able to get through out of that first qualifying session in the second session the rain has stopped and it was completely dry there wasn't any nobody was going to have to deal with a greasy track or whatever but by halfway it was Gardner in front then Kenneth then Raul Fernandez Adrian Fernandez Delaporte and Navarro Lowe's then bumped Gardner back uh, there was an amazing save by Kenneth I don't know if you saw that Rich where the front was gone on the elbow for a long 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 time <laughs> Marquez, uh, yeah. but even Marquez probably would have stood up and applauded that one and said yeah, that was really yeah. well done. So that was pretty good. I think he just got caught up in the bumps. Uh, you know, it was chattering and it just he lost it, talk, tucked the front. He was done. As you say, Great it's very bumpy there. Very bumpy. It's very, very bumpy. Yeah, they're going to face that again at Coda. Coda is very bumpy too. So we had the save. Then it was Lowe's and Adrian Fernandez, Gardner, and but then at the very end, because this was actually one of the better qualifying sessions where things kind of Changed a little bit as it got down to the end for Moto 2, or in Moto 2, what? With Fernandez leaping back in front of Lowe's to have the fastest time, Lowe's would start second. Augusto Fernandez would be third, so Lowe's was in a Fernandez sandwich. Gardner would be on that second row in fourth, followed by Kenneth and Navarro, then Verhey, Bezecchi, DJ Antonio, Delaporta, Beliga. Ayagura not really coming to grips with the place, having a tough time uh, getting it, getting anything to work for him. Uh, then Marshall Schroeder, Luthi. Joe Roberts, Manzi, Vietti, and Chantra finishing out the 18 that were in that qualifying session. Anything else you want to add for qualifying, Rich, before we head to the to the race? 
not, nothing much more to say really there, just yeah. a great great lap by fernandez really wasn't it really was Again. yeah it was one of those where it's just like whoa yeah, where did that, that come, come from, from? <laughs> you know so that's where that one where was that was that was it was nice to see some positions change at the end of qualifying in moto two. that really doesn't happen very often usually it's the it's the heat of the day i think maybe the rain helped cool the track it helped maybe kind of help the dunlaps a little bit uh you know kind of mixed with the michelin rubber that was on the track but it was nice just to see there was some changes at the end because usually by halfway it's done and whoever was fast was fast and that's just how it's been been that way for a while too but let's get into the actual race. So clouds were forming on the warm-up lap. The, the, the dark clouds, the threatening rain at 2 o'clock, which would have been 2 o'clock local time, which would have been the start of Moto2, were threatening. Uh, who knows what was going to happen? But Lowe's got off the line very well at the start. Kanet was right there with him. And Bezeki, Gardner had started to be shuffled back, which is kind of what happens to Remy. He gets shuffled backwards at the beginning. He doesn't quite seem to get the elbows out and be aggressive enough to get to the front, at least at the beginning anyway. Basically, Lowe's was out there where he was sneaking away a little bit uh, on uh, Kanet, and then Raul kind of noticed that Lowe's was starting to get that bit of a gap, so Raul got past Kanet, which was good for them. And then we had Lowe's going wide at turn 14, and then basically everybody got by, by Lowe's. He had gone backward. Then Raul was out front, for a little bit, Kenet was out front for a little bit, looking good on the Bosque Cora. It was kind of mixed up at the beginning. It was places were getting changed. People were swapping around. Lowe's had a chance at the front. Raul was at the front there for a lap. Kenet was at the front for a lap. It was kind of a good little dice, and you're just hoping that that's going to kind of be the norm and that you would see this. You, it was old-school, first-year Moto2 kind of racing that you were looking for. But basically, Raul then sort of got to the front, and he just started to put in the laps. And it was nobody was going to touch him at that point. He was riding an impeccable race with a broken hand again on a track that I think would have been much harder on his right hand because of the bumps, because of the braking situations, and because you're going the other direction where you're going to be forced to use your right a lot more to work the bike, uh, to either save it on an elbow or to deal with how you're trying to turn it in. But he was out front. And then kind of get the fact that Gardner was like very far back. But he's like 2.6 seconds. I mean, there was a big gap from Raul to, to Gardner. But Gardner did what Gardner does. And he puts himself and just starts pushing. And, you know, it was it was really to, the, to Remy's credit that he just started to just pick up the pace. He just kept going faster and a little bit faster. I'm wondering if Gardner in the last few races is kind of looking like one of these guys that struggles a bit with a bike on full fuel. And then as the as the weight comes off, he really starts to move forward again. Hasn't been it's like possible. that all season long, but he, certainly the last few races, he as you said, he's dropped back at the beginning and, and looked scrappy, struggling to hold a line. He was sort of very wayward at Aragon, if you remember, really yeah, kind yeah, of going wide so. a lot in, those, in the early laps. And then as, as as the race went on, perhaps he manages the the tire wear better, or yeah, you know, the, the thought did occur to me, but perhaps you know just. He prefers the bike with a lighter fuel load on it. Could be. Gardner got by Lowe's at turn two. And then Lowe's was starting to be be dropped at that point. Like Lowe's was starting to slowly drift backwards in this whole deal. Then we get to where Della Porta, or sorry, Raul is um, throwing down 136 nines late in the race with like, say, maybe five, six laps to go, which I thought was an incredible pace for him to have. He was Nobody yeah. else was in the 136s. And that was but a lap I, record. 
Yeah, that was like lap, lap record pace. Then Del Porta went down a turn one anyway. He got up holding his arm. That looked like a collarbone to me. It looked like a collarbone to everybody because yep. Bird and Steve Day were thinking the same thing. Looks like a collarbone. Yeah, Rich, Rich is giving the international collarbone sign. I'm using my palm, my other hand to hold my arm straight out because my collarbone doesn't function properly. So hopefully Del Porta is going to be fine with that. I mean, he did walk away, so that was good. But that's like seven DNS for Del Porta in eight races. Ugly. That's just mm. – I. For the kid who was so good on a Moto3 bike and so consistent, he has found nothing on that Moto2 bike. I don't know if it's just his size, and he's just struggling with that, and he just can't make – like, he doesn't have enough – hard to say this, but does he not have, like, enough muscle mass to actually make it do what he wants to do? Is he just – or can he – or does he just – can he not find a setup that works for his size? Kind of like Pedrosa, right? Pedrosa at times on a MotoGP bike – was blindingly fast when he got the setup exactly right. But then there was times where Della, where he or Pedrosa would just simply struggle and could not make it work for him. And I'm wondering if Della Porta is sort of that same way. Back to the race. Um, at this point, it was five to go. It was Raul, Canet, Gardner, Lowe's, Bezecchi. And basically, Raul, I think, got a track limits warning. So he had to be careful about that. So he had some fast laps, and he, and I, I really thought he was pulling the pin. Like, he was going to be gone. He was going to put in these 136s, show the dominance, and be done. However, somebody named Remy Gardner had other ideas, and Gardner tried his best to chase him down. Like, Gardner at one point was like three-tenths a sector faster than Raul was, which I think the 136s that Raul, that Ra- Raul did burned the tire off. And the tire couldn't handle the what he was doing, and he had to back off some, which I think Remy is much better at having a setup that sort of uses the tire less, per se. And so as it came down, whoo, Remy's clicking him off, clicking him off, clicking him off, clicking him off. He got Canet. He clicked him off, click him off, click him off. And it's like, ooh, he's coming after him. And then we get to where he he's like, ooh, can Remy actually go get – Raul, because I'm thinking if he does, this is going to be like maybe the nail in the coffin for Raul is like, mm-hmm. look, dude, I know you had it good in Aragon, but that wasn't your track. That was your track. This is my track. You know, that whole statement that you're going to make about being a racer and what, you know, you're not going to do this to me twice. Oh, I was like, oof, man, this is going to be wicked because you're just waiting for it. And then it's like the last lap, man. Gardner is has to get the drive out of the out of it so that he can make the three rights as close as he can so he can be right behind Raul. And he knows Raul's tire is almost gone. So Raul didn't get as much drive. And Remy's going for it, right? And he goes through, I think it's 11. And, oh, the back end went. And I thought Remy was going to just eject himself to the to the moon. And he wouldn't have come down for He'd still be out in outer space right now because he was going to go for a ride. Because I think that's like 150 miles an hour or so on a Moto2 bike. It's wicked fast through there. I think it's faster than that, yeah. Is it? It might be. Maybe it's 150 on a Moto3 bike. And it's like 165. Yeah, Yeah. on on the Moto2. And that that would have been the mother and father of all high sides, wouldn't it, if he'd done that there? I don't want to think about it, but that that was just an amazing save. That's just old school dirt tracking style to save that. But Remy made the incredible save, but that let Raul get away, and he was done. So the race finished with Raul winning it. 
with Gardner then being second. Canet on the podium with the bow tie. I cannot wait until he wins a race because I want to know what the bow tie is all about. What the hell <laughs> is that all about? <laughs> I want to know. Somebody tell me. Somebody let him win, please. Really, I just want to know. Then Lowe's was fourth. It was not was a pretty good ride for Lowe's. Then Bezecchi, Fernandez, Agura, uh, and Fabio Gini Antonio in ninth, and Celestino Vietti rounding out our top ten in that list. Um, the championship, well, Remy does what it, what he has to do. He minute, only lost five points to Fernandez. So he's on 271, Raul on 237. The championship is between those two because Bezecchi – with a poor finish, uh, where was Bisecki in all of this? He wound up finishing, yeah, fifth. So his championship is done because there's 81 point. He's 81 points behind, and you have three races left, and that's 75 points. That's easy math. He can't get there regardless of what happens. Then Lowe's has got a shot. He's 50 behind uh, Bisecki, so Lowe's might get a third in the championship, but I think that's gone pretty much too. There's, it's possible, but we're gonna need Bisecki's gonna have to have a an off or a crash. Kenneth moved up to fifth. Uh, then is Augusto Fernandez, Fiji Antonio, Agura, then Schroeder and Vierge. Well, with that win, Raul is Moto2 Rookie of the Year. So that congratulations to him. And Remy and those two, Remy and Raul are going to fight it out the rest of the way. So good to see what happens. Uh, you know, Remy has been to Coda on a Moto3 bike. I don't think he's been there on a Moto. He might have been on a Moto2 bike too. Yeah, yeah. He's been on a Moto2 bike. Yeah. Once, I think. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I would think that Remy's going to maybe do the, do the deed there and put one on Fernandez. But, uh, you know, that kid's a rookie and that kid's wicked fast. And like I said, if he wasn't there, we'd be talking about Agura and how good Agura has been. So that tells you yeah. something there. I think he set uh, or tied Marquez's record for the most number of wins as a rookie in Moto2. So that's been like 10 or 11 years since that happened. Obviously... Fernandez is good. There's no question about that. And uh, ooh, I think we got a little insight into why he, you know, he made a big deal. He didn't want to go to MotoGP. He wanted to stay in Moto2. And I think we kind of found out this weekend why he was unhappy. He was coveting the Yamaha. He wanted to go and be on the Yamaha on the more rider-friendly MotoGP bike that is the Yamaha. And the rumor is that he tried to buy himself out of his contract with KTM to the tune of a half a million euros, to which KTM said no. Now, we also know that Jorge Martin did extract himself from his KTM contract to go ride on on the Ducati, and I'm guessing that KTM really didn't care if they got another half a million euros from another rider because their deal to buy Ducati fell through. Did you know that one? <laughs> no, I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, Ducati mm. is Ducati and Lamborghini are for sale from the Volkswagen Porsche Audi group. So KTM wanted to buy Ducati and it was rejected. So, hmm. Mm interesting hmm. i can kind of understand you... why fernandez would want to get on the yamaha because when you were describing the race it, it, it and the thought did occur to me on sunday when i was watching it that fernandez has kind of i know it's a little bit uh, old-fashioned to say it now but he kind of almost has that classic 250 sort of style very much wheels in line yeah he does very sort of corner speed whereas remy as we've said earlier on, I was saying, where are the Australians coming from? Well, obviously they've got Remy Gardner coming up next year and he is that classic rear out 
flat tracker, dirt rider. So he's happy with the bike sideways. And you kind of figured that he'll probably adapt to that KTM quite well. Perhaps Fernandez, you can see why he probably preferred the idea of being the new Jorge Lorenzo, that, that very sort of classic, very controlled, very fast, corner speed, wheels in line. You kind of understand why he probably wanted to get out of that KTM contract and jump on the on the M1 rather than onto the uh, RC19, is it, the KTM? That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it makes definitely sense. Game on, <laughs> definitely game on in the championship still, isn't it? I mean, it's by no means. Yeah, there's no way. Oh, man, if if one if if Remy has a bad day, if Remy falls down, I mean, obviously he's no matter what happens at Coda, Remy is going to be leading the world championship. Just is he going to be leading it by you nine know points or, nine yeah, points, yeah. or is he going to be leading it by you know some some bigger number? It's all to play for here. This one's going. I think this is going to the wire. This is definitely one that's going to the wire. That's for sure. But let's talk about a championship that I don't think is going to go to the wire. How about MotoGP? And we talk about that, Rich. Yep. Uh, let's look at the qualifying sessions for MotoGP. The, again, uh, in the first session, Mark Marquez, Nakagami, Lekawona, Oliveira, Doby, Rossi, Bender, Bastianini, and Morbidelli. Hmm. You could almost say that was like be like the first session group. I mean, such a, we say it all the time that this is incredibly competitive and it is really is competitive when the when you have those big names that aren't in the first session and whose name's missing out of that list rich do you all uh, that that you wouldn't have thought would be in q1 go on you're gonna have to i've gone blank vinales oh yes both okay. aprilia's were yeah. in the first qualifying we're in qp2 he was smoking it all weekend really wouldn't mm-hmm. he vinales yeah he so yeah. it's like that tells you something right there so anyway, poor old Rossi, he fell down at turn 15. Um, everyone want, wants a wants a, someone to set a fast time, and uh, Marquez needed a reference, so Honda would just send Brattle out in front of him to go faster. But uh, Bender crashed, Nakagami crashed, but Bastianini and Marquez got through, but Bastianini crashed on the in lap, so time had run down. Okay, so this isn't like Bastianini created the yellow flag and nobody else could have a faster lap. Literally, time was off the clock and there was nobody was going to threaten anybody that was at the top two. And I don't know if it was a lack of concentration or what it was, mm. but it was the slowest motion flow side I think I've seen in a long time. And he just sort of spun it around. And it's so slow and it happens in slow motion. You can watch Bastianini actually literally take and pull the clutch in to keep the motor running as he slides to a stop and it picks the bike up and rides into the rides on in uh, to the pitch. I just think, you know, it was funny. It was a last lack of con- lapse of concentration. I think he was either excited because he knew he was going to go to Q2 or maybe he might've been watching one of the screens and found out. So he just wasn't, Oh, there's a turn now. Wait a minute. And he, you know, so something Keystone like that. Keystone cops moment. Keystone cops moment. Yes, that is true. So, we go to MotoGP QP2, and then after the first run, first run, uh, we had like Alexis Bergero, Marquez, Martin, Benyaya, Quattraro on, and then Quattraro being fastest because all these guys were like on pole, but then all the they just tumbled because everybody else came through. Then Marquez tossed it away at turn nine. It's a right-hander. He cannot save a bike on his elbow on a right-hander. He cannot do it. The shoulder or the arm or something is not physically capable of letting him save that motorcycle like he has. 
it's impossible. So so for Marquez to be competitive and win another world championship, in my opinion, Honda is going to have to build him a motorcycle that has a better front end that he's going to be able to have more feel and more time to react to what's happening because his body physically is not going to allow him to do it. Now, with that said, there is a full off season that he will have that he can work on his conditioning and that you never know with the right training program, with the right effort put in, he the right therapy, whatever, Marquez could be his normal self. But right now, he is not his normal self. And I think we all understand that. But I mean, then again, looks- th- that was a massive, you know, that was a massive problem he had with his right arm. And just to be on the bike riding again, I think is fantastic. Yeah, I've said it before, and you know, again, you, when you look at him in the in the pits, he kind of has that kind of haunted look of a man that just knows he cannot do what he was able to do before. So the question is, will he be able to get back there, or will, as you said, Jim, will Honda give him something that makes that job just that little bit easier? Yeah, and they have to. And by association, to. would make it a lot easier for all the other Honda riders because let's face it, it's really only Marquez that has consistently been able to do anything with that bike. Yeah, that is very true. That is very true. But when Marquez did go down on the right-hander, Benyaya was in front of him. Now, I don't know this to be true, but I'm wondering if Benyaya gave him a little break check. Nobody wants Marquez to follow them in qualifying. No one. So how do you get rid of him? Because whatever you do, you could literally stop on the racetrack and Marquez would just sit there behind you and not go. So I'm wondering, because Benyaya was definitely not quick on that first flying lap that they did on the second run. Now, maybe it was part of their strategy that they wanted to bet in that tire, and it would, you know, second lap on a tire would be faster than a first. That's a possibility. But I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that there's not a possibility that Benyaya basically was a little slower in that corner than Marquez thought he was. Marquez needed a little bit more break because he got there a little sooner than he thought, and maybe that's why the front end folded. I couldn't tell. Don't know. It's a speculative idea, mm. but it does. I mean, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist kind of guy. I do like that. <laughs> but <laughs> those are things that writers do. Everybody's done it. I've done it. Everyone does it. So it's not without the realm of possibility. Anyway, Aleish fell down turn 15. Quattro was down at uh, turn one and he was upset with himself. He thought he could go faster to get there. But Mir had an absolutely terrible session. Nowhere to be found anywhere with a Suzuki. I don't know what their deal was with that, but it was Benyaya who finished on pole with a track record too, right? It was track record pace, I think. And then Quattraro. So Quattraro's fall hurt him as he was not between the two Ducatis or potentially on pole, but he was on at least still on the front row. He did was able to pimp Martin though to stay on the front row. Uh, Marcos Martin tried, but couldn't get there. Then Zarco, who suddenly showed immaculate form now, he says he's been struggling with arm pump. I find that interesting that Zarco hasn't gone to get surgery because I think with a week between races, there was been at least one time that there was a week between races that Zarco could have gotten surgery for that. I mean, Quattrero did it and got the surgery, but no two surgeries are the same. No two people heal the same. So who knows? Maybe there was maybe his doctor said, no, really, if we do this, it's going to be more than a week recovery and you're not going to be able to get back on the bike. Well, I think I he's know. under the knife this week, in fact, having, the, okay, having, so, having it done now. Okay, yeah. so where we go, that settles that argument. Uh, then it was Paul Spargaro, Marquez, and then Alicia Spargaro, Rins, Vinales, Mir, and then Bastianini. And I don't, did Bastianini 
what did Bastiani fall in that session? I can't remember because oh, he didn't. I can't recall. He didn't do any. He was just tw- he was twelfth. Now did he not even go out? I don't even or remember. Maybe- well, did he get the bike back? Because he obviously had that tumble. He had the know, tumble, he but he rode back session, the pit. So I don't know if really... it was one of those things where they didn't have another soft tire or they wanted to keep it for the race. I really should have looked into that more. Mm. But uh, I would know. I didn't know that it was going to be that big of a story, to be honest with you, Rich, at the time, you know? <laughs> the, the big thing, as you said, was what was going on at Suzuki, really, with uh, Alex Rins having a better weekend, but Mir just all over the place. And I'm, I'm pretty sure in that final session, he they were busy making some change to the front end but something wasn't done quite right so he rode back in and they basically said to him no there's no time to do anything just go back out again so you saw you know the on-bike camera looking back at him and he's just shaking his head and shoulders are down and you know just all went terribly wrong yeah he's just not happy not happy on the bike the way that it is that's for sure yeah i mean that's that's that right there is 90 percent of it i mean you have got to be comfortable on your motorcycle because you can't perform what do you put Suzuki's, you know, 2021 form down to having won the championship with him last year? Did they take their eye off the ball or has everybody else just developed much, made a much bigger jump? I wonder what's gone wrong there. That's a great question. The obvious answer to me is David Rivido is not there. He's mm-hmm. gone to Alpine in Formula One. Was he the glue that held it all together? Don't know. Was it a perfect storm solution where basically Quattraro, who probably should have been champ, wasn't because he couldn't ride or whatever was going on with the Yamaha caused him to be not be able to ride well. Suzuki had a bike that was easy on the tires but never qualified well, but that was okay because perhaps maybe the pace at the front wasn't as fast as it could have been. The guys on the Ducatis were quick but not quick consistently, and it was just one of those perfect storm things as bob hayes would used to say right when yeah, stoner yeah. won in 2007 it was a perfect storm ducati on a bridgestone was the perfect thing and maybe it just so happened that on these michelins last year because the michelins this year are different the there's different fronts we, we know that that perhaps maybe there's not a front tire that works for him or they can't get the shape-shifting bike to work well enough for him because that's a part of it yeah who knows but it's it does seem to be that that's sort of Suzuki's thing that they, you know, and I think back to the only to the championships that I can remember and personally have seen was Suzuki was there every now and then with Schwantz. Oh, they'd win a race. They'd win this race on his day on that bike. Schwantz would win. Okay. But it was never consistent enough in all fairness to Kevin. He wouldn't have been world champion in 93 unless Rainey had his accident. I, I hate to say that. I hate to take and tarnish anyone's world championship because I, I would, I, I'm not even remotely good enough to have even thought about doing it. But that was one of those things. And then when Kenny Roberts Jr. won their next title again, it was almost, it was another one of those things where it sort of like lucked into it. Warren Willing was actually porting cylinders and making cylinders so that the bike would run at the end of the season. You know, Roberts was able to win a few races in the beginning, he was able to win the races that mattered. You had the gap in there because Rossi had just now come up. Everybody else had kind of faded away. And it was just that moment in time that Suzuki had a bike that could handle and Kenny Roberts could Jr. could ride it fast enough to win a title. And then right after that, it was a terrible motorcycle, you know. I, and- I think um, 
yeah, the, the the sort of the Kenny Roberts Jr. title and, and Mears title last year are, are quite similar in a way. They yes. they were kind of stealth championships in a way. Because, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm glad for Mir in one respect. He did win a race last yes. year, but so far that has been his only race win since he's been in MotoGP. And to win a championship through consistent finishing is sometimes looked down upon a little bit and it does rather lend itself to your theory Jim it was just a a combination of factors last year that kind of contributed to Suzuki kind of creeping up and catching everybody by surprise a bit yeah been very very consistent and just scoring a lot of points mm -hmm. but not being spectacular and winning lots of races on the podium 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 when you you had no Mark Marquez because he was out because of his accident the Yamaha hadn't fixed their problem yet, so Quattraro had tire problems. And he faded really badly at the faded, end of the year, didn't right. he? Pressure, whatever. Mm-hmm. Faded pressure, whatever there was on it. The Ducatis, again, weren't as quick as they are now. Ducatis found something here recently, that's for sure. Obviously, yeah. because Bastianini suddenly figured out how to bend that thing like a spaghetti noodle. <laughs> it was just, it's like, okay, and so is Martin. Those, you know, the pace of the racing has been pushed forward again. It's just taking another leap that you got to be just that much better. And when Schwantz won his title on the Suzuki, to kind of bring this around full circle again, after that year in 94, they basically had the same bike they had in 93. It wasn't any different. When Kenny Roberts Jr. won in 2000, they came out in 2001, sort of the same bike, because I don't think they had built their four-stroke bike yet. I don't think because 2001 was a 2001 no 2002 was the first year of gp four strokes sorry I, yeah. i'm off yeah. that year there they had I, the mixed class in 2002 didn't they i think they, they had four it was a mixed class pounds. in 2002 so they had the yeah. same so so suzuki obviously wasn't going to put any development into that motorcycle in 2001 knowing that you were going to go to four strokes in 2002 so kenny roberts sort of got stuck with what he had valentino rossi was obviously now the new king he was on a honda kanemoto was tuning it and they looked they were super fast and you know suzuki i think perhaps looked at it and said well hey we did really good on this bike why do we need to change anything i.e they obviously were working towards a shape-shifting bike but they obviously weren't wasn't a priority for them Mm. because if it was it would have been on the bike at the beginning of the year and testing and whatnot and it didn't show up until halfway through at austria as a bunch of kit pieces to put onto a bike so they don't have the budget they don't have the money that the other teams do i mean honda obviously has more money than what they know what to do with and to them racing is an engineering exercise but to the other team you know suzuki is one of the smallest factories obviously Aprilia is obviously smaller but look what Aprilia has done though Aprilia has taken a very small group of people and on i'll call it a shoestring budget and made and made a motorcycle now that is very good and i think the aprilia is better than the suzuki at this point this year. yeah yeah so I, they, I, at least right now so I, I think you were right earlier on i think when in the final analysis of this season and when the dust settles a little bit i, I think this point that you raised about the impact of davide brivio going I, I think that has been a massively contributing factor to, to all of this and that that does bear some closer scrutiny i think that's that's for perhaps for a, a, a winter show when we can try and get into the weeds on it perhaps a little bit but yeah 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 it, we've, it, we've rambled on here haven't we which yeah, is we have rather, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> kind of like what this. we do let's just try to put this one together here real quick with the motor gp race the, the question always was was it going to rain 
Yes or no? If there was dark clouds, it was very threatening. I think on the warm-up lap or the siding lap, there was rain on the camera lenses of and on face shields at the beginning. Um, it never actually ever did rain, but Ben Yaya got the whole shot. He was followed by Miller, Quattraro, Marquez, Polo Spargaro, Martin, and Aleish were all right there. And then by the end of the first lap, Ben Yaya had a 1.1 second lead. The man had his head down, and pretty much he had his head down, and that was it. He was he was off to the races. He was putting in a dominant, old-fashioned, Rossi-esque, I'm just going to beat the crap out of you people, kind of a moment. And that's pretty much what he what he was down to do. Um, you had uh, Martin getting by Quattraro, and Quattraro had kind of gone sort of backwards a little bit. Quattraro, I think, struggles on a full tank, or at least struggles in traffic at the beginning of it i'm not sure which way that is but after a few laps quattro starts to attack which makes me think that it's a fuel level load problem that the bike is not quite as good on a full tank as it is when it's empty it stays pretty much the same martin goes down at, at 14 the front washed out it was a solo crash a real slow-mo crash you know he just was dragging along it was on the front it was gone 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 Okay, I'm going to give up because I can't. I'm already to the gravel trap, and now I cannot pick it back up again. But what happened was that suddenly Bastianini shows up. He was like up to fifth after only roughly three laps. So he went from 12th to fifth. That's impressive. Just like a man possessed, really. Yeah. I mean, he's he's shown some flashes of brilliance this year already. And bearing in mind that is a what two-year-old bike? Two years, yeah. And and it was not a particularly well loved bike as i can recall when davizioso was on it in the works team so he's yeah he's working miracles with that thing uh, mm-hmm. it, clearly there is something in this notion of you know being in front of your home fans uh, something because he was strong all weekend he was very much so on a track that the ducati does kind of do well on which is odd it you know it must be the right combination of corners or something that makes the ducati mm. work here not sure why but ducati's been faster Benyaya was here was very fast last year here. If you very remember, fast. he was out front leading when he yes. when he crashed. Yes, uh, he was. Otherwise, that w- otherwise that would have been his first win. Mm-hmm. So Bastian even got by Marquez. Rins, who was mired in the group, finally got by Alish. He needed that because he needed to get going to get to the front. He had some race pace, but he just needed to get out of the traffic, which didn't seem like he was capable of doing. Basically, at 15 laps to go, it was Benyaya, Miller, Quattraro, Bastianini, Marquez, Rins. Aleish, Mir, who was still mired in the back. Rins kind of went forward. Mir got stuck and couldn't go anywhere. So if I had that reversed the first time when I said it, sorry, because the two Suzuki's were not doing very well. Then Quattraro got by Miller. That was important because Quattraro needed to get close to Benyaya and try to put some pressure on him because Benyaya was definitely far out front. Rins had got by Marquez. So Rins was looking like maybe he was going to be able to run up and maybe get to the podium potentially because he really had some he really had some pace going at that point once he got by then Renz crashed uh mir got by because Renz had crashed at turn one so he threw it away that's what Renz does he looks fantastic and then throws it away which is terrible story of the season yeah story of the season he crashed turn one that was with 10 laps to go and with 10 laps to go the fastest person on the circuit bastianini bastianini was turning in some wicked fast laps it's like Oof, man, he's going to – Miller was had faded. The tire was gone, and it was like, ooh, 
Bastianini could podium here. Wait a minute. Bastianini could probably maybe win this if he could carry this pace on. But his pace was only good enough to get him past Miller, and he did that with eight laps to go. At that point, it pretty much stagnated, and he wasn't going to go anywhere else. Because when Bastianini had gotten past Miller in third, Quattro got the hurry-up sign that basically Bastianini was coming, and Quattro didn't want that. So Quattro got on his horse and responded and started to put in the laps again. Well, Benyaya kind of tried to respond, and he did maybe once or twice, but he couldn't respond all the way because I think his tire was gone or was definitely chewed up way more than what the Yamaha's was. I'm like, ooh, this is gonna this is gonna run down and be like a last lap deal. And I honestly thought Quattro was gonna win the race. I was watching the race with my boy, and he says, "Hey, Dad, who's gonna win it?" And I said, I think Quattro is. I think he's got more tire, and I think he's going to be able to, to get through the three rights faster than Benyaya on the last lap and put a move going into 14 and sort of muscle his way by. And poor Benyaya is going to finish second to this, and Quattro is going to win. That did not happen. Benyaya held on, which I guess we should have realized that he could have because he held off Marquez at Aragon. And that was that was a ding-dong battle. And it wasn't a ding-dong battle this time with Quattro. But Quattraro had him under immense pressure. He had to be inch perfect. He had to be sure he got the drive. And he knew it because if you look uh, the the last set of turns, I think it's nine or ten before you get to the three lefts, or sorry, three rights as you get back into 14. He made sure that he was slower in the middle of that corner so he could set that bike on the fat of the tire. And that ruined Quattraro's drive because he hadn't been riding that way at all. But he changed on that lap to be sure that he could get the drive, use the Ducati acceleration, use that horsepower to get down that straightaway. Then Quattro had nothing for him. Quattro realized it and settled because Quattro knows that he doesn't need to fight Benyaya. Wins are nice. You put the pressure on, but Benyaya was a little bit faster. He definitely understood you were coming, held the pressure, and Benyaya wins. Two wins in a row for Benyaya. And then Quattro was in, in your second position. Bastianini would get a well-deserved podium. You have a, two Italians and a Frenchman on the podium. Again, the, the home fans are going to feel really good about that because yep. they had a lot of Italians on the podium this weekend, for sure. Uh, you know, maybe we saw the next coming of people because Rossi is going to leave. Benyaya, are they going to become Benyaya fans? Are they going to become Bastianini fans? What, you know, they have some options of people. And they've got some kids in the, Moto, in the Moto3 class that look forward to, too. So all going to be good. Marquez did ride through the last lap. We didn't get to see much of it because there was, you know, there was a lot of the action going on up front. It was Quattraro going to get by, and, but we sort of lost track of where that four, five, six battle was. Marquez was as far back as six, but he rode through the pack there on the last lap, a little last lap magic to get a fourth place. Then uh, Miller was fifth, Mir sixth, Aspargaro pulled at his seventh, Aleish, his brother, the older brother, um, eighth. Then Bender, who had went back to an older frame KTM for this weekend, uh, couldn't do any better than than that. Then Nakagami, Piro, Zarco, Vinales at 13th on the Aprilia. Thought he might have done better considering he qualified better, but he did not then brattle the wild carding and Alex Marquez getting the last and final point for that. So good racing. Do you also realize one thing, Rich? Everybody who won at Aragon won here. At, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. everybody doubled down. Any other thoughts before we wrap this up and get out of here, Rich? Yeah, we need to move on. Just two things. Well, we we waxed lyrical about Bastianini, and rightly so. I mean, it was a, an awesome ride. So, yeah, be interesting to see what he can pull out with that momentum going into the last few rounds. 
Marquez, just to pick up on something you said in the last uh, show, Jim, did his crash in through the practices and in qualifying. And when it came to yep. the race, kept it sunny side up. So, you know, found those limits, bike and physical in terms of himself, and brought home a, a strong fourth place. And yeah, I mean, just Banyaya, that, that guy's got ice cold blood running through his veins because sure boy, does. can he handle pressure? Because a couple of the, the rear facing onboard shots where you kind of look down, you know, mm-hmm. um, under the seat cowling at the rear tire. I mean, the right hand side of his tire with sort of five, six laps to go. And that big black mark all the way around it. Yeah, it was yeah. well torn up. Yeah. Um, so he was clearly just managing that, uh, which I guess encouraged or helped Quattraro catch up. And then, as you said, just saved it for that last lap and just made sure that he absolutely pinned it. And so in the end, it was almost looked quite comfortable. But with two or three laps to go, you were thinking this this is over. He's going to lose. So yeah. great great job by him again yeah boy can he handle pressure he's very good at it so with the title championship quattraro is on 234 benya is on 186 it's a 48 point gap quattraro's got one hand firmly on that championship uh you know he only needs to be 50 you know 50 odd points or so ahead with a couple races left and quattraro is going to get it he he would have it on the basis if even if he didn't race benya won those and they tied on points. Quattro gets it on a tie break for wins. So Mira's third, Zarco's fourth, Miller is fifth, Brad Bender is sixth, Alexis Barker is seventh in the points, Maverick Vinal is eighth in points, Marquez ninth, and then Oliveira hanging on to tenth. And there's a man who has gone nowhere since his injury to his hand in Australia. Yeah. I think we should probably have said something about that, but he's been nowhere. Uh, yeah. He looks so good at the beginning of the year, has the injury, and is nowhere right now. So there's a guy who's looking forward to probably Porto Mayo again, so maybe he can put things back right. So Puzzling, to say the least, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we could go on about that, but we really need to wrap this all up. So the next race is Coda, people. We're going to the United States. We have two weeks to get there. I will be there. Um, again, if you want to meet up, talk, have a conversation, we can do that. You can just hit me up on Twitter at Moto RGV. I'm also on Instagram at Moto RGV. Rich, where are you in the World Wide Web? I'm tweeting uh, at Richard Jowett. You can find me there. Um, I'm okay, still guys, in case you sorted out my Instagram, but uh, we'll get there eventually. That's fine. Just remember, guys, if you want that, that's Richard Jowett, J-O-W-I-T-T, just in case you guys don't know exactly how that last one's spelled. Correct. For you. Um, if you like, if you want to have, say about something about the show, you can do that. You can email us at motopod.motopod.cast.com. We love all the comment, feedback, questions, whatever it is, and we'll – if it's a really good question, we'll probably be on the show, Rich and I'll discuss it. If not, I'm sure someone in the in the group of all former hosts and past and present will jump in and say something, try to answer your question as well. Uh, with that, I think we're, it's time to wrap it all up and get out of here, Rich. Do you agree? I do. Goodbye, everybody. All See right. you next time. All right. right, everyone. Ride safe. See you at Coda. Mm-hmm.